Hey, if you enjoyed my episode on IEPs and you want to listen to more podcast episodes about IEPs, I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ertube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. You might have heard me talk about IEPs on my episode, and this latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I checked out these episodes, and I think that they are a great place for you to go after listening to mine. They go into a little more detail and answer a little more in depth about what an IEP is and whether your child needs one. So listen to Understood Explains by searching for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. This is Struggle Care. I'm your host, Casey Davis, and I am here today with content creator Landon Bryant. Hello, Landon. Hey, I'm so glad to be here with you. If you don't know Landon, he is the brains behind the hilarious account where he goes over all things Southern. I'm going to play you guys a little example here. Sam Hill is that. Well, I'll tell you, because that is a minced oath, which is a euphemism. So let's discuss it. Now, I was just piddling today and I got to wondering who in the Sam Hill is Sam Hill. Nobody's ever explained to me who Sam Hill is. So I had to look into it. I had to see about it. And what I found was shocking. Sam Hill is a minced oath. So what's a minced oath? When we take words and we change them just a little bit so they sound different, so that they're not ugly words, so that they're not cussing words, so you can say them around your mom and them. And Sam Hill is not necessarily an actual person. Sam Hill is a replacement for devil or hell. Two words we're not supposed to be saying. We don't want to conjure up the devil by saying what the devil is that. That's teetering on the edge. And if you use hell inappropriately, it's a cussing word. So we are left with what in the Sam Hill is that. And that is a minced oath. Gosh. (laughs) I'm trying so hard not to (laughs) laugh at that as I'm playing it. So you have these like delightful videos where you talk about all things Southern, especially like linguistic things. And I think my favorite one is where you talked about Piddlin. Tell us what Piddlin is. Well, Piddlin, and I guess we need to talk about why we had to talk about Piddlin. It's because I said Piddlin in a video, and there's people all around the world that like comment on these things. And there was somebody from the United Kingdom said that that meant like peeing in the yard. (laughs) And I was like, we have got to discuss this and make sure to set this straight. So because I said I was Piddlin in my garden and they were like, there were so many questions like, why were you peeing in your garden? (laughs) I was like, I absolutely was not. (laughs) I was Piddlin and Piddlin. It's just when you're doing the things around your house that are fun to do, but they're not necessary. They're like little tasks that are just give you joy. I think the best example of piddling is like, well, like taking care of your plants or like a hummingbird feeder, like making sure it's okay, worrying about the hummingbirds, all that kind of behavior. Piddling is my best self, honestly. I love it. See, my home, we were puttering. Puttering and piddling are just very close. And my husband laughs at me a lot. He's not even from the South, but now that he knows that word, he's like, are you doing your puttering? You puttering around? I was like, yeah, I'm puttering around my house. Absolutely. There's not a better day than a puttering around day, piddling day. I mean, it's so great. It is specific. It, what's funny is like, we're going to talk about ADHD, but like puttering around the house is very, very close to me in my ADHD heart. It is because it's like freedom to do what, whatever thought comes in your brain. You go do that on a puttering around day. 
So you just go for it. Yeah, and just my little projects. <laughs> my little projects. That's what he calls it. Your little projects. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you're, you know, what's funny is it's like puttering around the house is never doing the thing, like puttering or piddling. It's never the things that are like high priority. It's never like doing the laundry. Exactly. That's not piddling because that's the thing that you have to do. It's That's a chore. Piddling is not necessarily chores. It can be job, but it's not necessarily like <laughs> a specific dreadful task. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a hobby. Like it's not a thing that's totally unnecessary. Like honestly, you're one of the bird feeders, like the perfect one. Like I'll put the bird, yeah, refill the bird feeder. Refill the bird feeder. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a lot of looking out the window on a piddling day and checking on things. There's a, <laughs> making your rounds, so to say. <laughs> making your rounds just puttering around yeah it's so funny because you know your platform to me is so funny as someone who is from the south and i'm from houston born in dallas and a lot of people are split between whether or not i have a southern accent it really comes down to whether or not you are like from the city or you're from rural because i'm from the city so it's not as pronounced as everybody else but also it comes down to how in proximity I am to another Southern person because like it gets very obvious when I'm talking to somebody else that's Southern. Exactly. And it's even such a scale here. Like when I first started doing these things, where I am, I'm not nearly the most country accent at all. It's the country versus city accent. You know, like there's so much more country accents available. So when people were like, your accent, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, and like, I'm be real, I get it. But it just was surprising to me because I'm not, definitely not in the more country of speakers that I'm personally around. So I don't know. I was like, for a while, I was like, there is no accent. I have no idea what you're, <laughs> no concept. I did a video one time where I like purposefully did like a very Southern Texas drawl and somebody got offended and they were like, you know, I hate that, you know, people use a Southern, well, first of all, they accused me of using an Appalachian accent and it wasn't, it was a Texan accent, but they couldn't hear the difference. And so they said, you know, it's really not okay to use an Appalachian accent when you're just trying to mimic someone that's stupid. Like we already have people that think we're stupid and, and that, and like valid point, like you shouldn't just like do a country accent when you're trying to imply that somebody's stupid. And so I responded to them and I was like, first of all, it's not an Appalachian accent, it's a Texas accent. I am Texan. And I like to lean into it when I want people to know that, you know, I'm doing a bit. And it's not about being stupid. It's about having the audacity. Like that was the point of the video. <laughs> yes, definitely. I, as a Southerner, like my mom always laughs. Like my mom has a little bit of an accent, but my whole life, anytime I'm mimicking her, I always like purposefully give her like the most Southern draw. Cause I'll be like, Casey, <laughs> that is not fair. And she's like, I don't sound like that. I was like, doesn't matter. It's like anytime you're talking about someone else, it's like you use the accent. It feels good. It feels right. You know, it does. It feels a little bit better. <laughs> I love it. So, okay. But we're not just here to talk about the South. We're here to talk about ADHD and you are someone who was diagnosed late in life, but not as late as some of us. So tell me about when you got diagnosed. So I was a fully like 21, 22 age. I had, so I was very successful all through high school. I, definitely the signs were there. Like I lost every retainer, every pair of glasses, anything that needed to be somewhere and it wasn't there, it was gone. You know, like so there were obviously situations, which drove my mama nuts to, <laughs> the whole time. But I was still successful academically. And 
I mean, I was challenged through high school, but I had such structure set up because my parents were just so like on top of everything. They were the typical like what you see on Leave it to Beaver type of a show. And so everything was there and set up. So I had a homework time and I had a study time and there was practice this and practice that. So it all was worked out. The moment that I got out onto my own, immediately like done, (laughs) like not doing that right now. I'll do that later. I never had to really like do the time management skills myself. And I'm so grateful to my parents for basically making me so set out so well. But it also was like a thing. So when I got to college, I had to learn all those skills for myself, how to take care of time management, which is not a whole thing that I was very good at. So I bounced around from school to school and then finally got treatment and was very successful almost immediately. Like after like the year, I think I graduated within a year and a half of that. And I had gone to three other schools <laughs> before I finally got to the last school that I was at and the last thing I was studying. And at it also was with ADHD, you have so many different interests. I went, started in architecture school, went to nursing school, <laughs> and then I finally graduated with a history degree. Oh my God. I love it. I did the same thing. I started with a philosophy degree and then I switched to meteorology and then the math was too hard. So I went to, oh, what did I do after that? I can't remember, but I ended up with a theater degree. Exactly. It was like, a. I literally looked at my transcript and I was like, how can I graduate? Like, I've got to graduate. What do I do? And history was the thing that had the shortest path to it. Definitely not the easiest because there's a lot of writing. And I learned, it turns out, I'm so grateful for my history degree, which people will be like, liberal arts degrees, blah, blah, blah. But y'all, I learned so much in that history degree. Like I learned about bias and how to search for it. And it opened up a whole world of academics to me. And it was the first time I was really successful in academics at a college level. So it was just super, I had a great time. <laughs> I had a great time getting that last degree that I now don't do anything <laughs> With besides like know that stuff and it set me up for, you know, we have to filter through a lot today. And that helped me look for what is the bias in this scenario, which has been very valuable. And part of what happened after you got your diagnosis, what you actually finally got accommodations in college, right? Exactly. Immediately, I immediately got accommodations. And that was a struggle for me because I, you know, it's a whole thing to accept that you might need an accommodation when I don't view myself as needing anything from anybody. But that was the thing that did it for me. I got the accommodations that I needed, like some notes at the end, just some a skeleton of outline of what was said so I could go back and fill in stuff that I needed to do. They just an awareness on my professor's part as to like help him stay, stay in line. You know, like they knew if I was like not paying attention, maybe I didn't get that part. And the professors that I had were really great about it as well. But I got those. And then like, I didn't realize that taking the time constraints off stuff would be such a relief on like testing and stuff. I didn't realize that I had that type of anxiety going into those types of things. It just was a strange, I learned so much in the time period by being helped. I didn't even need, know that I needed that help. And it was really transformative for me. And I was really successful and then had a whole career for the past 10 years. And now I'm doing this. So. (laughs) Are you frustrated by buying your kids clothes and having them grow out of them within a week? Do they itch, pinch, and they just aren't comfortable? Well, then you need to check out Posh Peanut. Made from this amazing bamboo material, the clothes are legitimately so soft and they stretch with your kids as they grow. They are four times stretchier than cotton. Made to last, loved by parents, and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house from beautiful florals to all of your favorite brands, such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty, and Barbie. Their pieces are made with that ridiculously soft fabric, and it even stays soft wash after wash 
after wash. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code STRUGGLE. Go to poshpeanut.com slash struggle and use promo code STRUGGLE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash struggle, promo code STRUGGLE. I still remember where I was the first time it hit me. I maybe do have ADHD. And it's funny, I posted a TikTok the other day about having ADHD and a good friend of mine texted me and said, remember when you swore to me you didn't have ADHD? Oh, goodness. Well, listen, if you relate to that at any point in your life, I want to share a podcast that you should tune into. It's called ADHD Aha, hosted by Laura Key. It's candid stories from people who share the moment it clicked that they or someone they know has ADHD. In each episode, you'll hear heartfelt interviews about the unexpected emotional and even funny ways that ADHD symptoms can surface for adults. And it doesn't always look the way we thought it would. So check it out. To listen to ADHD AHA, search for ADHD AHA in your podcast app. That's ADHD AHA with AHA spelled A-H-A. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we're alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include what makes a life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present, when the future no longer is a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean when you have a child to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and was named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Well, it's interesting you bring up career, and I feel like a lot of people with ADHD, we have that same thing where we have that wandering interest where we're interested in one thing and then another thing and another thing. It's hard to commit. And I think it's hard to think about what careers would be like most forgiving for like having an ADHD brain or like play most to the strengths. And so tell me a little bit about, you know, like that 10-year career and what that looked like in having ADHD. Well, I ended up in education. My wife was in education for, for like five years before I got into it. And she was already on her specialist degree as far as it goes. So I'd been listening to like about education for a while. And it, I basically just fell right into it. But I fell into the very best place. It was an art school, public school that was of the arts. And they teach academics using art. And I was like, done. That's me. I'm all over that. And I became the art teacher there. And it was just super, if you have ADHD and you're looking for something to do, I highly recommend being an art teacher because, first of all, you teach four-year-olds through sixth graders. That alone in itself, the range of those things is an adventure every single moment of the day. There's not a dull moment and there's always something new. And second of all, the content was so different. And the way that they taught there just appealed to me so much as somebody with ADHD because they would teach, like each week I would be assigned to a different grade and go teach whatever they learned academically using a visual art lesson. So we would make an art lesson out of it. And it was just so cool and so exciting. And every day was very different. There was a new challenge, like a new thing to get ready for, the next musical to prep for. So it just like really fed my interest while everything was so different every time. So it still was exciting. So I was into that. I I honestly imagined myself doing that for so, so, so long, but then this happened somehow. (laughs) And that's what I'm doing now. But teach art to young kids. It's very fun. So You're from Mississippi, 
And let's talk a little bit about the influence that Southern culture has when it comes to mental health and mental health access. Because there is, I mean, I think that there's stigma everywhere, but there certainly is like a pretty heavy, specific stigma in the South that I think adds to it. Definitely. And I think that has a lot to do with my story, because especially somebody who was sort of successful in elementary school and high school, that definitely meant there was like nothing wrong, right? But it is just, it, the world is so big now than what it used to be. It used to be such a small world and communities were so small growing up. It was just such a smaller space. And mental health was, when you're in religious communities like the South, it's almost seen as like a weakness. And there's this whole concept of that you should pray about it, like go pray about it would be what you would be told if you were speaking. Like nobody directly said that to me, you know, but that is the general attitude about mental health because it was misunderstood at the time. Now, those same people understand it a lot better. So it's a whole different place than it was. And we all like grew together in this whole situation. But it's almost like things like that could be seen just as something that you should handle with your relationship with the church and with the Lord, you know. And so that's how it turns into kind of a stigma. And so people don't seek out that kind of a help. They'll seek out like help from the church. But that was it was such a different time period than now. That was when the community was so small, even like you couldn't call long distance city over because it was a different area code. Like it's that was small. That's not a big community at all. So the moment it opened up, things changed pretty rapidly. But yeah, growing up, it was a different attitude towards mental health for sure. Well, and I think even with like the access that we have today, what I noticed is like, because I always lived in big cities, but I always had family that lived in small cities or like small towns. And like being in a big city is very different than like the rural areas. I'm sure that's true everywhere. But in a lot of rural areas in the South, it's still the case that like the main social engagement is the church. Like that's the main, that's like the hub of your life and your community. And you're right. Like it was like, well, well I gotta go to, let's go talk to the pastor, right? Like that's where you got that mental health advice. And certainly some churches are better at it than others. Right. It's a whole thing with community that you now you have choices of communities or you don't even have to. It's just that that was the whole community was the church community at the time period. Then pretty much like where you went to church was your group of people. And it was a really big influence. So it's a different it's a totally different thing now. I saw this TikTok the other day and it was a couple walking down the street in New York and they were taking up probably a little over half of the sidewalk and they were filming a TikTok video. You know what I'm talking about? There's this girl that's walking the other direction and just shoulder checks the girl. And she's like, ow. And the comment section was so interesting because everyone was divided on like who they thought was being rude. And like a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, like she should have said, excuse me. Like you can't, you can't just like body check someone. Like she didn't even say, excuse me. And then other people were like, why are they walking that way? Like they're taking up more than their side of the, like they're the rude ones. Like she was justified. And I had this thought when I saw that, like how much that illustrates like the difference between Northern and Southern idea of politeness and manners and courtesy, because I have this theory that people in the Northeast thought that the rude people were the ones that were taking up too much of the sidewalk because they're used to living in these compact cities where like people don't just drive every, like you have to learn how to share space with a lot of people. And so like, Definitely. it's fucking rude to take up more than you're like, look how many people are trying to move. And I genuinely think 
that the people who thought that the other girl was rude ha- like must have been from the South. Because down here, we don't have to navigate that many people in a smaller space. And so like our manners are all about verbal manners. Excuse me. Thank you. Bless your heart. Like all of that. I agree. And also it's like not aggressive, aggressive. Like you would never physically bump into somebody to teach them a lesson here. That would be like so extreme. So I feel like people probably related to that too. But also get out of the sidewalk is how I felt about it. Like get out the sidewalk. Don't bump into people, but also get out of people's way. Oh, I totally thought that they were the rude ones. Mostly because of like what they were doing and where they were not like I totally so like I agree objectively that the ones taking it up were rude. But I just thought it was so interesting because like we're so spread out down here. We don't there's not that many people on the sidewalks here. Like so we don't grow up learning how to be that aware of like, you know, not taking up too much space and other people need to move and other people are going places and people are going to work and, and all that. And so like all of our stuff is like, thank you. And oh, have a nice day. Like it's all very, yeah. And like, let me get the door for you. Like that's our type of courtesy. I have the funniest situation in our town right now. It's, it's because of this very situation. Like, okay, four-way stops was never, that was never going to work with us because everybody's like, you go, no, you go, no, you go. Now we've got like a whole standoff and they, we had them in the past that they like really emphasized them now. And they redid downtown a little bit and with roundabouts. And it is a complete mess because people, we're getting better at it. But that's not for Southerners because we want you to go first. And the whole deal is yielding. <laughs> like that's the whole deal. It's like you go and you yield to the left and everybody is full stop at the roundabout. <laughs> like full stop because it's like you go first. That's the whole attitude to a fault. Yeah. And like, we're very big about like smiling to people when we see them in public, strangers and this, that and the other. And I heard someone say one time, yeah, the, the way the finger wave that like they described being I think they were in New York and there was a girl that had a seizure in a donut shop. And she was like, it was like the perfect example of like the kindness of New Yorkers, because like nobody stopped what they were doing. But as they stepped over her, they'd be like, here's a napkin. You'll be all right. Did somebody call? And it's like, I'm like butchering the story because I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like <laughs> the kindness is in the like, I'm not going to take up too much space on the sidewalk. The kindness is in the like, you know, let me hand you something that you need. It's like this very practical exchange. Whereas for us, the kindness is in the smiling and the talking and the like it's this this sort of like sweetness that in the dance around things which like we can definitely also be rude in that way but i just thought that was funny it speaks to the private versus public like the whole idea down like there i think it's the you gave them the courtesy of the privacy of that moment a little bit while taking care of them you know Whereas here, we're going to like be very loud about it and everybody will know in that kind of a way. <laughs> All right. So back to your journey with ADHD. You now do content creation 100% of the time and you also are writing a book. Tell me about the book. Yes. I'm writing a book. It's called Bless Your Heart, as we know, which is what you know is very nuanced, but it's just going to be a very fun, like I'm trying to make it very beautiful guide to life down here. And in a way that if you're from here, it's going to be hilarious to you, the things that are Southern that we don't notice that I, I mean, this whole account has just blown my mind, the things that we do that are specifically Southern. And so it's fun from that aspect. It'll be, there'll be, there's gonna be like fun little glossaries and dictionaries and explanations of terms. But if you're not from the South, you'll learn a lot about all this nonsense that we're talking about from a perspective, somebody from here. So I think it's got something for everybody and it should be really fun. I'm really excited about it. I'm having a great time writing it, like such a great time. 
it surprised me writing it though. Like I've just been surprised that I just took off in March. And so like every day I wake up and it's a surprise talking to you is a surprise, but writing the book and the interior journey has just been like a roller coaster. It's it's surprised me so much. The whole, all of this is. I want to talk about that in regards to ADHD too, but I don't want to lose this thought, which is you mentioned like, we don't even realize the things that we do. And like, so as someone from a big city, I always thought that I wasn't that influenced by Southern culture because, you know, we're in the big city and I don't have an accent and this, that, and the other. And I will never forget the time that somebody was like poking fun at how Southerners say, I'm fixing to go to the store. And wait, this is the best. And I swear to you, I thought what they were poking fun at was that we were dropping the G from fixing, like how we say I'm walking, I'm boating. So I was like, yeah, we do do that. Like we drop the G a lot. And someone had to tell me like, no, it's the fixing part. That's not what that word means. I was like, what do you mean? It is like I'm fixing to go to the store. I'm about to go. I'm fixing to go. And then I was like, wait, that isn't what that word means. <laughs> that, the same journey. That's exactly the same. That's what my account is because of that exact conversation. Like it was fixing to that did it. I was telling a story about something else on Instagram before I blew up. And I said fix into in the story. And there was so many comments of people being like, what is fix into? What do you mean? And I was like, I had a whole existential crisis about like, what would you say instead of fix into? Like, what is the phrase that goes there? Like, I couldn't even figure out like what it was that would possibly replace fix into because that is what you're fixing to do. Like, there's not another way to express that. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even about to because like, I'm not about to, I'm not like sitting here and then I'm going to like, I am fixing to like, I'm getting ready to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It indicates preparation of some sort. <laughs> That's so funny. That's and it's not even like physical preparation. Like I could be sitting at the table and be like, Hey, I'm fixing to go to the store. What do you need? Exactly. It's the whole thing. That's what started this account. That's like literally the first discussion I think I did where I was like, let's discuss fix into. And then it turned into these discussions because that blew my mind. But things like that happen all the time. I'm constantly surprised by what is Southern and what is not Southern. And also still surprised that I have an accent. Have you covered Now We're Cooking with Oil? I, you know, I don't think I have covered Now We're Cooking with Oil. See, it's every day. And I just add it to this list that I have on my phone of on the Reminders app. <laughs> Anytime somebody says something like that, and I'll put it in there. Done. I'm gonna, I'll have to give you credit for that one. That's so fun. Now we're cooking with all your <laughs> heard that so much. And it and you don't even think and it's oil too. Did you notice that? It's not oil. <laughs> it's oil. <laughs> even though I say oil in every other context. <laughs> that happens too. It comes in and out. Bold peanuts did a did a number on people when I said bold peanuts. They were like, excuse me. <laughs> what do you mean by bold? And then also what are bold peanuts? And I was like, wait, nobody knows what bold peanuts are. Wow. So the content just creates itself. <laughs> right. So how are you finding writing a book while having ADHD? I've learned a lot about myself this whole year. And fortunately, my wife is was a specialist, an instruction and curriculum specialist, and she's taught in special education. So her whole deal has been like making sure people get the right accommodations. So she knows how to motivate me if I need the motivation. She also knows how to help me structure the day a little bit. And so that's basically what I've relied on. I need deadlines. It's the thing I've learned the most. Like, if there's got to be a deadline, if there's not a deadline, it doesn't exist to me. Like, it will exist right before, and then you're not going to get the most quality work. So, you know, chopping it up in a small, like, I can't just be like, your manuscript is due in March. Then, great, we'll start <laughs> in February, the last week of February. That wouldn't work, right? So, I've got to chop it up. It's little things like that I'm learning. 
I'm also having to let go of the, I just like go, go, go all the time and like want to be doing something all the time. So I'm having to like learn to not be guilty about like not sitting down and writing all the time or not making content. So there's two sides to the whole thing. It's just a matter of making yourself do it. Are you doing it too much? And, you know, we hyper focus on stuff so I can like really lose a day to whatever. Figuring it out every day, basically, is what I have to say about the book. But setting the structure up is hard. That's difficult. That's one of the challenges of this whole thing is when and where. I mean, you start puttering. Exactly. You start puttering and then like, where'd the day go? Well, transitioning into doing that from doing this, it's like a whole thing. (laughs) This is going to sound so dumb to some people, but like, where are you going to sit to start writing the book? What's the vibes of that area is the whole thing. And then like you get distracted by moving something from that chair and this pile and that's what it is every day so (laughs) i finally got it down to where like this is where you sit for filming videos just sit right here like don't go anywhere (laughs) just this is it you don't have to question so like that's taken a lot of the stress out of the day for me but it's it's just building strategies building things every day to get better at it I've never met a free trial I didn't like or a budget I didn't listen to, which is why Rocket Money is perfect for me. And it might be perfect for you too. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. And they send me emails keeping me updated with where I am on that budget. Rocket Money will even try and negotiate lower bills for you up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users. They can find and cancel your unwanted subscriptions, and they have saved people over a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash struggle. That's rocketmoney.com slash struggle, rocketmoney.com slash struggle. Shout out to Claritin for giving me some free samples and for sponsoring this podcast. I am a seasonal allergy sufferer, which means that sometimes I'm lying in bed reading a book that is super happy and my husband says, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Because I am sniffling and he thinks I'm crying. But no, it's just seasonal allergies. Luckily, that does not happen anymore because I use Claritin D. We can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sniffing, sneezing, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat. It's great. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies. It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. As for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter, you don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. I also like thought when I, before I wrote a book, I thought that like authors, like when you think like, okay, that's their job. I had in my head, like, so they wake up, they sit down at a table, they write for eight hours, then they put it away. And then it's like, that's what they do. And then when I started following other authors that would talk about how like erratic when they were writing and the times were, and like, for me, I've got kids in school. So like, I have to make it happen at certain times, but I didn't appreciate that. They'd be like, yeah, sometimes like for a week, I don't write. And then all of a sudden I write for three days straight. And then sometimes I write for an hour and then sometimes it's 10 minutes and sometimes it's eight hours. And sometimes that made me relax a little bit because like, you can't turn on the tap with ADHD. Like you can't make yourself think of ID. Even if I could force myself to sit down and put my fingers on the 
keyboard, I can't force my mind to like get into a flow state and think of ideas. I relate to that so much. It's actually like blowing my mind right now. That's part of this because I have these discussions, right? I mean, there's so many layers to what I have to say about that, but I have these discussions, right? And every day, and I have a giant list of topics. There's so many topics that when I hear those topics, like cooking with oil, I have a million thoughts about what I could say in those moments. But when I sit down to record later on, I might not be able to talk about cooking with oil. And that's for real. That's not, you know, like it has to be at the right moment for that topic. That's why I have such a long list. And that's really the challenge of it for me is finding the moment that is the tap into that, that is going to allow me to do my best work. Because when you're trying to force it, it just is a whole different ball game. And like, I feel like it's pretty evident even in the work that I've done. Like, I know when I was like, not in the headspace to be doing that right then, but I had to because I like strived my very best to be very consistent with it, which is just so strange for me to be consistent with anything. But I've somehow been consistent with this like every day since. Anyways, it, that's such the challenge. And it's the challenge with writing as well. And then what you said about it, them going in spurts, there's a part of me that I think learned, I learned to make sure I did this at the right time, make sure I do this the right way a long time ago to make sure everything was right. Because ADHD, you will forget the thing or not do the thing. And the erraticness of that makes me so nervous. And I am when I think about it that way, I want it to be a packaged up like this is when you write. This is when you you go get a cabin for a month in the woods and that's where you write your, <laughs> you know, be so structured with it. But it isn't that at all. And I'm having to learn to work in that world and grow that way. It's a different thing entirely than what I've been doing for the past decade. And it's very fascinating. Yeah, there's this extra layer of like, I didn't do enough today. I didn't do enough. Today. And it's like, you can't let, like, you have to like kind of lean. And it's, there's no like formula of like, you have to lean into the flow and the natural like rhythm of inspiration enough to like get the good ideas and strike while the iron's hot and all that kind of stuff. But you can't have that extra existential terror of like, I didn't do, I haven't done anything today. I only did it for 10 minutes today. Okay, I did it for eight you know, I did it for eight hours. Why can't I do it again like that? Like that makes it worse. And so like trying to get that off and sort of like respect the flow and contend with the fact that like you can't wait forever on the flow. Like you got to figure out how to like make the, like encourage the flow. Cause like there are deadlines. Exactly. It's a whole thing. It's an, it, and I just like wonder if people have the solution to it somewhere. And, it, and you know, it, it baffles me that people, like I get genuinely baffled at people that are able to like be so structured about it. Like it's really something that if I ever feel less than I do genuinely like wish I was able to do that. I think it's like a superpower that people have, but I definitely don't have it. So I have to turn this into the superpower. Like the moments that I am hyper-focused capitalize on those and go with it that way. But it's just such a journey because now there's so much information on ADHD out there, but there just wasn't this whole time. So it's, Anytime you learn something new, it's like, wow, that really has affected my life this whole time. I had no idea that it was like not my failure and my flaw. So there's a lot of guilt that comes with it that you have to shake off as well. So the last thing I want to ask you is like, you know, there's a lot of resources out there for like work accommodations. And you talked a little bit about school accommodations. But now that you find yourself working for yourself at home. And even, I mean, like even I've talked about like accommodations for care tasks, but there's this weird sort of like in between, like just existing, right? Like, especially as like a one man show, like trying to be a creative, like what accommodations do you pr now provide for yourself that you realize you need? That is such, it just existing is like, <laughs> it is difficult. It's like so difficult. Um, well, fortunately, again, I have my wife and she is a painter. So it, she, that fits in 
her being able to help me out through things, but just having that list that keeps going and the accommodations that I'm using the most are alarms. I set alarms very, very much. I always like try to ask for like a Google calendar invite for meetings so that I know when they are because add time zones into ADHD and it's a disaster. Like I cannot, I have no idea like what time you're talking about. And I will just, and then honestly, like I got really good at being improv in the moment, like because I missed so many meetings, I hope get the notification that it's right now and I had to get going. So I've gotten better at like just knowing what I'm talking about all the time because it got to, hey, who knows if they're calling next <laughs> really was for a while I got that way. But now I'm getting better about asking for Google invites because I just the leap between you saying it and me putting it in my phone is such a large <laughs> task leap for me. Some detail will get messed up. I don't know. So that Google invite is just so helpful for me. It puts it right in the calendar. So the little things like that, but I'm learning what ones I can do. And it's things like I want to get better at batch filming. So I'm trying to like learn how to go just record, record, record and not finish and get going. I don't know. Just little, little tiny things, just maximizing the flow. If you figure that out, I want the secret sauce because I have recognized for a long time that there are so many creators out there that do it that way. And they sit down and they batch record. And I'm like, I can't sit down and make myself talk about anything. I have to be doing something. And then all of a sudden somebody says something. I'm like, I have something to say. And then I have to do it right then. I have to record it right then. Like I can't figure out. And I know my life would be better if I could batch it, but I can't. Exactly. Because that's what I had to talk about. I just talked about it. (laughs) That was the thing that I want to talk about right now. I don't want to talk about anything else. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) The whole thing. And the the amount of times that I've been like, oh, I have something to say about that, but I'll get to it later. And then I come back and I'm like, what was it I was going to say? And I can't, and I can't make it sound good. That's the struggle with the list every day. It's like all these things were moments of a huge inspiration, but are they right now? I who could tell you? I could never know. So <laughs> if you don't get into the flow when you get it, it's, it may not come back. No, nope, it's a surprise every day. But one day it might come back. So it's there on the list. And I feel like I have had to try really hard to sort of like create a life that allows for that as much as possible. I mean, like not everything can, but at least like giving myself permission to do it when I can do it. Exactly. And when you're not doing it, enjoy the moment. I'm trying to tell myself that all the time. Like if I'm sitting here worrying about it when I'm not doing it and I'm wasting the time that I could be enjoying something else, you know, it's a whole thing. I'm telling these things to myself every day, <laughs> every single day I wake up and like, because also I didn't mean to do this. It was not something that I, I never imagined not teaching. I was going to teach all the time. So this whole thing is just brand new in a different world. The money thing is different. It's a whole situation. So it's just a new world. And I'm trying my very best to like, stop and pause and remember that enjoy the moment take it in and but I'm ready to go to the next thing always (laughs) yeah well thank you so much for your time and this lovely conversation and when does your book come out March of 2025 I'm so excited nice okay we will look out or I will look out for it I don't know why I say we all the time I think I listen to so many podcasts of people that have like teams and co-hosts so they just say we so sometimes that sounds like more professional but there's no one else (laughs) anyways Landon thank you so much and have a great rest of your day thank you so much If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.